0: Well, it's Monday and it's been a crazy weekend, but let's start with Jeffrey Epstein committing suicide. Attorney General William Barr said Monday that there were serious irregularities at the federal jail where Jeffrey Epstein took his own life as he awaited trial on charges he sexually abused underage girls. The 66-year-old financier was found Saturday morning in his cell at the chronically short-staffed Metropolitan Correctional Center in a unit known for holding notorious prisoners under extremely tight security. I was appalled, and indeed the whole department was, and frankly angry to learn, of the MCC's failure to adequately secure secure this prisoner, Barr said, at a police conference in New Orleans. We are now learning of serious irregularities at this facility that are deeply concerning and demand a thorough investigation. The FBI and the Office of Inspector General are doing just that. He added, We will get to the bottom of what happened and there will be accountability. Okay, William Barr, we'll see what your summary has to say, but let's continue. The manner in which Epstein killed himself has not been announced. An autopsy was performed Sunday, But New York City Chief Medical Examiner Dr. Barbara Sampson said investigators are awaiting further information. A private pathologist Dr. Michael Bowden observed the autopsy at the request of Epstein's lawyers. Bowden said the city's chief medical examiner in the late 1970s has been called as an expert witness in high-profile cases, including O.J. Simpson's 1995 murder trial. Epstein had been placed on suicide watch after he was found in his cell a little over two weeks ago with bruises on his neck, a person familiar with the jail's operations told the Associated Press. But he had been taken off the suicide watch at the end of July said the person, who wasn't authorized to discuss jail operations publicly and spoke on condition of anonymity. It has been said that Epstein's defense attorneys pushed the uh, psychologist to release him from Suicide Watch. Inmates on Suicide Watch are subjected to 24 hours a day of direct continuous observation, according to the U.S. Bureau of Prisons policy. They are also issued tear-resistant clothing to thwart attempts to fashion nooses and are placed in cells that are stripped of furniture or fixtures they could use to kill themselves. After being returned to the jail's special housing unit, Epstein was supposed to have checked in by a guard every 30 minutes, but that was not done the night before his death, the person familiar with the matter told the AP Newswire. On the morning of Epstein's apparent suicide, guards on his unit were working overtime shifts to make up for staffing shortages. The person said one guard was working a fifth straight day of overtime and another was working mandatory overtime. Epstein's death cut short a prosecution that would have pulled back the curtain on his activities and his connections to celebrities and presidents, though Barr vowed Monday that the case will continue against anyone who was complicit with Epstein. Any co-conspirators should not rest easy. The victims deserve the justice and they will get it, Barr said. According to police reports obtained by the AP, Epstein had a team of recruiters and employers who lined up underage girls for him. In a court filing Monday, Epstein's accuser said that an agreement he negotiated with federal prosecutors in Florida over a decade ago to grant immunity to his possible accomplices should be thrown out now that he is dead. Under that 2008 agreement, Epstein pleaded guilty to prostitution-related state charges and served 13 easy months behind bars. At the time of his death, Epstein was being held without bail and faced up to 45 years in prison on federal sex trafficking and conspiracy charges unsealed last month. Epstein's death is the latest black eye for the Bureau of Prisons, which was already under fire over the October beating death of Boston gangster James Whitey Bulger at a federal prison in West Virginia. Taken together, the deaths underscore serious issues surrounding a lack of leadership within the Bureau, said Cameron Lindsay, a former warden who ran three federal lockups, including the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn. A defense attorney for Epstein, Mark Furnich, also faulted jail officials, saying they recklessly put Mr. Epstein in harm's way and failed to protect him. Staffing shortages worsened by a partial New York City jail to stage a hunger strike in January after they were denied family and lawyer visits. Eight months later, the jail remains so short-staffed that the Bureau of Prisons is offering guards a $10,000 bonus to transfer there from other federal prisons. In the wake of Epstein's suicide, Union President Eric Young of the American Federation of Government Employees Council of Prison Locals said a Trump administration hiring freeze at the Bureau of Prisons has led to thousands of vacancies and created dangerous conditions for prison workers and inmates. In a statement, Young said that teachers, clerical workers, and other support staff are regularly used to fill in for guards. And many of those are completely untrained to be guards. Guards have been regularly forced to work 70 to 80 hour weeks. It's a tragedy, but the investigation should continue and we'll see. Hopefully Barr will submit a summary to the public that is actually accurate this time. In other devastating news, Trump overhauls the Endangered Species Protection Act. The Trump administration on Monday rolled out some of the broadest changes in decades to enforcement of the landmark Endangered Species Act, allowing the government to put an economic cost on saving a species and other changes critics contend could speed extinction for some struggling plants and animals. Interior Secretary David Bernhardt and other administration officials contend the changes would improve efficiency of oversight while protecting rare species. The best way to uphold the Endangered Species Act is to do everything we can to ensure it remains effective in achieving the ultimate goal, recovery of our rarest species, he said in a statement. An effectively administered act ensures more resources can go where they will do the most good, on-the-ground conservation. Democratic lawmakers, several state attorney generals, and conservation groups said the overhaul would hamper protections for endangered and threatened species. The Endangered Species Act is credited with helping save the bald eagle, California condor, and scores of other animals and plants from extinction since President Nixon signed it into law in 1973. The Endangered Species Act currently protects more than 1,600 species in the United States and its territories. The changes included allowing the economic cost to be taken into account as the federal government weighs protecting a struggling species, although Congress has stipulated that economic cost would not be a factor in deciding whether to protect an animal that prohibition was meant to ensure that the logging industry, for example, would not be able to push block protections for forest-dwelling animal on economic grounds. Gary Fraser, an assistant director at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, told reporters that the government would adhere to that by disclosing the cost to the public without that being a factor for the officials considering the protections. But Brett Hartle, a government affairs director for the Center for Biological Diversity Conservation Group contended that any such price tag would be inflated and an invitation for political interference in the federal government's decision whether or not to save a species. You have to be really naive and cynical and disingenuous to pretend otherwise, Hartle said. That's the reason the Congress way back prohibited the service from doing just that. It's a science question. Is a species going extinct, yes or no? Other changes including ended blanket protections for species newly listed as threatened and a revision that conservation groups say would block officials from considering the impact on wildlife from climate change, a major and growing threat to many species. Nothing here, in my view, is a radical change for how we have been consulting and listing species for the last decade or so, Fraser said. Instead, he claims, it brings more transparency and certainty to the public about the way we'll carry out our job while the nearly half-century old act has been overwhelmingly successful in saving animals and plants that are listed as endangered battles over some of the listings have been years long and legend pitting northern pitting the sport pitting the northern spotted owls snail darters and other creatures and their protectors in court and political fights with industries local opponents and others Republican lawmakers have pushed for years to change the Endangered Species Act itself in Congress. Senator John Barrasso, a Wyoming Republican who leads the Senate Environmental and Protection Works Committee, said Monday's changes are enforcement to the act where is a good start. But he said he would continue working to change the act itself. Democrats blasted the changes, and conservationists promised a court fight. The regulations take a wrecking ball to one of our oldest and most effective environmental laws, the Endangered Species Act, Senator Tom Udall, a New Mexico Democrat, said in a statement. As we have seen time and time again, no environmental protection, no matter how effective or popular, is safe from this administration. At least 10 Attorney Generals joined conservation groups in protesting an early draft to the changes, saying they may put more wildlife at greater risk of extinction. This effort to put protections for endangered and threatened species has the same two features of most Trump administration actions. It's a gift to the industry, and it's illegal. We'll see the Trump administration in court over this, Drew Caputo, a Vice President of Litigation for the Conservation Advocacy Group, Earth Justice stated. A United Nations report warned in May that more than one million plants and animals globally face extinction, some within decades, owing to human development, climate change, and other threats. The report called the rate of species loss a record. In Washington State, Ray Entz, the Wildlife Director for Cillespie Tribe, spoke of losing the struggle to save the last wild mountain caribou in the lower 48 states, despite the creature's three decades on the endangered species list. With logging and other human activities and predators driving down the numbers of South Selkik caribou, the Canadian officials captured and pinned the last surviving members of the species over the winter and pinned them up for their own protection. There were some tears shed, Int said, of the moment when the tribal officials realized the animal had dwindled in the wild to the point of saving. It's a tough pill to swallow. Despite the disappearance of protected caribou species from the continuous United States, Int said, We don't want to see the weakening of the law. There are times where there's hope in something you don't even want to talk about, he said, but having the Endangered Species Act gives us the opportunity to participate in the recovery. It's a sad state of affairs when we humans have lessened the number of animals on this planet by a good 60% in just the last 80 years. It's sad, it's disturbing, and it's harmful to all of us. That's my opinion. In another move by the Trump administration, new rules are put into place to deny green cards to many legal immigrants. The Trump administration announced Monday it is moving forward with one of its most aggressive steps yet to restrict legal immigration, denying green cards to many migrants who use Medicaid, food stamps, housing vouchers, or other forms of public assistance. Federal law already requires those seeking to become permanent residents or gain legal status to prove that they will not be a burden to the U.S., a public charge in government speak, but the new rules detail a broader range of programs that could disqualify them. It's part of a dramatic overhaul of the nation's immigration system that the administration has been working to put in place, despite legal pushbacks. While most attention has focused on Trump's efforts to crack down on illegal immigration, including recent raids in Mississippi and the continued separation of migrant parents from their children, the new rules target people who entered the U.S. legally and are seeking permanent status. Trump is trying to move the U.S. toward a system that focuses on immigrant skills instead of emphasizing the reunification of families. Under the new rules, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services will now weigh whether applicants have been receiving public assistance along with other factors such as level of education, income, and health to determine whether to grant legal status. The rules will take effect in mid-October. They don't apply to U.S. citizens, though immigrants related to the citizens may be subject. Ken Cuccinelli, the acting director of Citizenship and Immigration Services, said the rule change will ensure those who come to our country don't become a burden, although they do pay taxes. We want to see people come into this country who are self-sufficient, Canalucci said. It's a, there's a core principle of the Un- American Dream. It's a deeply embedded in our history, and particularly our history, related to le- legal immigration. My personal opinion is that's a lie. Migrants make up a small percentage of those who get public benefits. In fact, many ineligible for such benefits because of their immigration status. Immigration rights groups strongly criticize the changes warning the rules would scare immigrants away from asking for needed help, and they voiced concern the rules give officials too much authority to decide whether someone is likely to need public assistance in the future. Los Angeles-based National Immigration Law Center said it would file a lawsuit calling the new rules an attempt to redefine the legal immigration system in order to disenfranchise communities of color and favor the wealthy. David Skorton, President and CEO of the Association of American Medical Colleges said, The consequences of this action will be to potentially exacerbate illnesses and increase the cost of care when their condition becomes too severe to ignore. This change will worsen existing health inequities and disparities, causing further harm to many underdeserved." underserved, and vulnerable populations and increased costs to the health care system overall, which will affect all patients, he said in a statement. Cuccinelli defended the move, insisting the administration was not rejecting long-held American values. Pressed on the Emma Lazarus poem, poem, emblazoned below the Statue of Liberty that reads, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. He told reporters at the White House, I am certainly not prepared to take anything down off the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) Okay. A new Pew Research Center survey released Monday found the American public is broadly critical of the administration's handling of the wave of migrants at the southern border, with nearly two-thirds of the Americans, 65 percent, saying the federal government is doing a very bad or somewhat bad job. The survey found support for developing a pathway to legal status for immigrants living in the country illegally. On average, 544,000 people apply for green cards every year, with about 382,000 falling into categories that would be subject to the new review, according to the government. Guidelines in use since 1999 refer to a public charge as someone primarily dependent on cash assistance, income maintenance, or government support. Under the new rules, Department of Homeland Security has redefined a public charge as someone who is more likely than not to receive public benefits for more than 12 months within a 36-month period. If someone uses two benefits, that is counted as two months. And the definition has been broadened to include Medicaid, housing as housing assistance and food assistance under the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or SNAP. Following publication of the proposal rules last fall, the Homeland Security Department received 266,000 public comments, more than triple the average number. It made a series of amendments to the final rules as a result. Green Card hopefuls will be required to submit three years of federal tax returns in addition to a history of employment. If immigrants have private health insurance, that will weigh heavily in their favor. According to an Associated Press analysis of census data, low-income immigrants who are not citizens use Medicaid, food aid, cash assistance, and SNAP or SSI at a lower rate than comparable, low-income, native-born adults. Non-citizen immigrants represent 6.5% of those participating in Medicaid and 8% of those receiving food assistance. The new public assistance threshold, taking together with higher requirements for education, work skills and health, will make it far more difficult for immigrants to qualify for green cards, advocates say. Without a single change in the law by Congress, the Trump public charge rules mean many more U.S. citizens are being and will be denied opportunity to live together in the U.S. with their spouses, children, and parents. A former citizen and immigration services chief, Er said, These are not just small changes. They are big changes with enormous consequences for U.S. citizens. We'll be watching this story closely. Democrats want to revive a ban on assault weapons. As Congress wrestles on how to respond to a wave of mass shootings, leading Democrats are raising an idea once viewed as political suicide reviving the ban on assault weapons, which barred Americans from purchasing certain military-style firearms for a decade until the Republicans just let it expire in 2004. The idea is gaining traction on the presidential campaign trail where former Vice President Biden, an architect of the original 1994 assault weapons ban, and nearly all of the other Democratic candidates have embraced it. In an opinion piece published Monday in the New York Times, Biden vowed to make the 94 law even stronger, adding, we have to get these weapons off our streets. Two centrist Democrats who flipped Republican House seats last year, Representatives Mikey Sherrill of New Jersey and Jason Crow of Colorado, also came out on Monday in favor of the ban with an an opinion piece in USA Today. Both are military veterans. Mr. Crowe ousted a Republican incumbent after running on an aggressive platform of combating gun violence. With strong opposition from Republicans who are in charge of the Senate and President Trump at the White House, an assault weapon ban has virtually no chance of being signed into law before 2021. Nearly 200 House Democrats are backing the legislation to reinstate the ban, which is not enough to even pass the House, and voting on such a measure would politically risky for vulnerable moderates. Still, the push is on by prominent Democrats, including former President Clinton, who signed the original ban into law and outlined his support for it last week. It demonstrates just how much the politics of gun safety have changed over the last several years, and especially in the last couple of weeks after back-to-back massacres in El Paso and Dayton. The public has supported the assault weapons ban, and they really support it when you remind them that we had it already and that it used, and that these weapons are for military uses, said Celinda Lake, a Democratic pollster. The intensity has always been on the anti-gun control side. Now the intensity is shifting onto the other side, and the refrain out of Dayton, which is exactly the refrain the public has, is, do something. Polls show that a majority of Americans support an assault weapons ban, but the support is not bipartisan. It found that 57% of respondents were in favor of a ban on the sale of semi-automatic assault guns such as the AK-47 or the AR-15. But while 83% of Democrats said they were in favor of the ban, just 29% of Republicans actually support it. For years, the assault weapons ban was considered politically toxic for Democrats. After Clinton signed the ban into law in 1994, Democrats were trounced in the midterm elections. They lost control of the House, which they had held for 40 years. And among those who lost their seats was Speaker Tom Foley, who drew ire from the National Rifle Association when he came out in favor of the ban and was first sitting speaker to lose an election since 1962. The outcome rattled Democrats and their fears of the NRA only grew after Al Gore lost the presidency to Bush in t- 2000. Many Democrats, including Clinton, blamed the loss on Gore's stance on gun control. The NRA could rightly claim to have made Gingrich as the House Speaker, Clinton wrote in his autobiography in 2004, referring to Newt Gingrich, the Republican who succeeded Foley. That same year, the assault weapons ban expired. Some Democrats remain skittish about it. There is still lingering worry, but I think it's dissipated. For probably two dozen House Democrats, it is a risky vote, said Jim Kessler, vice president for the policy at Third Way, a centrist Democratic organization. Support for universal background checks, an idea embraced by Trump and by Democrats and some Republicans, is much stronger. The NPR poll found that 89% of Americans support background checks on all gun purchases, including sales at gun shows and on the Internet. A bill mandating the background checks has already passed the House and Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, said he expects the Senate to debate the issue when it returns in September. I hope so. There is no reason for military-level weapons to be easily available and on our streets. No reason at all. In other news, Canadian police say the two teen fugitives died by suicide by gunfire. Canadian police said Monday they believe the two fugitives suspected of killing a North Carolina woman and her Australian boyfriend as well as another man died in what appears to be suicide by gunfire. The Manitoba medical examiner completed the autopsies and confirmed that the bodies found last week were indeed 19-year-old Cam McLloyd and 18-year-old Briar Shkleminski, both found in Disbrush near a river in northern Manitoba. McLloyd and Shkleminski were charged with second-degree murder in the death of Leonard Dyke and were spe- suspects in the fatal shootings of Australian Lucas Fowler and China Dose of Charlotte, North Carolina, whose bodies were found July 15th along the Alaskan highway about 300 miles from where Dyke was killed. A manhunt for the pair had spread across three provinces and that included the Canadian military, thus suspects had not been seen since their burned-out car was found on July 22. The bodies were found Near Gilliam, Manitoba, a police helicopter initially spotted a damaged boat along the Nelson River last week, and a follow-up search in the area uncovered the items directly linked to the two in what was described as very tough terrain. The separate discoveries of the three bodies of the teens were believed to have killed shook Rule northern British Columbia. Schlemensky's father, Alan Schlemensky, said earlier that he expected the nationwide manhunt to end in the death of his son, who he said was on a suicide mission. Mm -hmm. McLeod and Schlemensky grew up together on Vancouver Island and worked together at a local Walmart before they set off together on what their parents thought was a trip to Yukon for work. McLeod and Schlemensky themselves were originally considered missing persons and only became suspects later. The police were investigating a photograph of Nazi paraphernalia allegedly sent online by one of the suspects. Schlemensky alleged sent the photographs of a swastika armband and a Hitler Youth Knife to an online friend on the video game network, Steam. Alan Schlemensky said his son took him to an army surplus store about eight months ago in his small Vancouver Island hometown of Port Alberni, where his son was excited about the Nazi artifacts. Alan Szymanski said he didn't believe that his son identified as a neo-Nazi, but he did think the memor- memorabilia was cool. But they committed suicide because they knew that they had committed these murders.